Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com. We need to talk. Sure, I'd love to. I feel we don't communicate. Well, I'm listening now. I'm not upset. Tell me more. I don't know. Do you feel good about us? Is that a trick question? No. Can we talk about it later? Sure, that's fine. Sounds good. Okay, thanks. Say what? Hey, I want to welcome you. I'm Pastor Tim, and you may be like, do people really communicate like that? But the truth is, we all do. And over the next couple of weeks, um, we are going to be looking at the power of words in relationships with our new series called Trash Talk. And as you just saw, kind of our misuse of words with those we love the most, we may not intend to miscommunicate or hurt anybody with what we say, but the simple fact is we do it all the time. The truth is we live in a culture of sarcasm and spin. That's what she said. And perhaps more than ever, what we say and how we say it has the power to breathe life into relationships or tear down altogether. Um, You guys may know where the term trash talk originated. It came kind of from the inner city basketball courts where street players would kind of, you know, insult one another with verbal barbs and put downs kind of meant to intimidate your opponent. You think you got game, man? You ain't got game. My mama got more game than you, you know? Your mama's so fat, man. She got an iron of pants in the driveway, you know, kind of thing. I got that from Pastor Tom. Just want to show you how white I really am. It's amazing. Uh, All kidding aside, if you watch sports... You know how trash talk works, right? On ESPN, you'll see sometimes they will mic players in the dugout or on the sidelines, and some of them are like highly skilled in the art of talking trash. It was hilarious. Uh, on Wednesday, I went to a Newark Bears minor league baseball game, took my kids there, uh, 10 bucks, you get front row seats, so we're sitting literally on the front row. There's like, you know, you can have four or 5,000 people in the place, and there were literally like 50 So you're five feet from the players, and you hear every word they say, and they can hear you. So I'm sitting there with Colleen and the kids, and the Bears cleanup hitter, he kind of gets up, and he kind of, you know, whiffs on one, whiffs on another, when suddenly my little boy, Dell, my little guy's six years old, he decides to go like this. He just goes, bend your knees, bend your knees. And literally the guy, like, looks over his shoulder at my son, Whiff, strike three, and we're all embarrassed because we're like, dude, that's not polite. Don't do that. And, you know, a section over is like an old lady saying, so we were like, we're sorry. And as the guy walks back to the dugout, she's like, get out of here, you bum. You know, she starts screaming at him. Like, it, that, that's trash talk where you just nail somebody on their weaknesses, humiliate them in front of people, and kind of dismantle them on the way down. But the truth is this. You don't have to be a professional athlete to tra- talk trash, do you? You just need to get married is the truth. Uh, I'm kidding, sort of. Not really. Uh, there's some truth to this, as we're going to see. The reality is, from a very early age, we learn how to use our words as weapons. And some of us have become skilled practitioners in the art. We may not 
do it on the playing field, but we talk all sorts of trash to uh, our spouses. We'll talk you know, trash to our kids if they annoy us. Talk trash about an ex or a romantic rival. Talk trash about a coworker, a boss, anyone sometimes unlucky enough to get in our way. Robert Fulgham, he is the author of a little book called All I Really Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. He notes that from early on, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. The problem is, he says, that's not really true, is it? <laughs> I mean, sticks and stones may not break our bones, but words will drive wedges between spouses. They will shred relationships of close friends. They will turn relationships toxic and cripple whole families. Sticks and stones may not break our bones, but words will actually break our hearts. They can shred our esteem, tear down our confidence, strip us of our dignity, and really blind us to the reality of who we are as God's children. Sticks and stones are are just sticks and stones, but words are so much more, aren't they? The Bible actually has a lot to say about the power of words, especially in relationships. And I want to anchor this series with a powerful verse from the book of Proverbs. You guys know Proverbs. It is known as, as, as the book of wisdom. So words of wisdom in Proverbs. And as I've been prepping in this series, I've been amazed by how many times it refers to the power of the words that we speak. Check this out. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of what? Let's say it together. Life and death. Do you believe that? That the words we speak have the power of life. They can bless, they can grow deep and affirm, heal, they breathe life, or death. They tear down, they mortally wound, they belittle and can destroy other people. Honestly, I used to think that was a little bit of hyperbole until I read the tragic story of Phoebe Prince, a 15-year-old girl who moved from Ireland to South Hadley, Massachusetts. This was just a few months ago. She became the target of a very cruel and vicious bullying campaign by her high school classmates. Uh, Police reports say that she had been taunted and mercilessly ridiculed for several months by several of her high school teenage girl classmates because they were jealous of the new girl. And they began a vicious Facebook campaign in which they just smeared her reputation. They spread gossip and rumors. You're a slut. You're ugly. What, do you wear an A cup? Why don't you do a favor and kill yourself? In between classes, they posted nicknames and rumors about her on Twitter. And the harassment ended... One day, when a classmate threw a can of Monster Energy drink at Phoebe from a passing car on her way home from school, and that day, Phoebe walked into her family's home and hung herself in a stairwell. Yeah. Her body was discovered by her 12-year-old sister. The tongue has the what? The power of life and death. Unbelievably, even after Phoebe's death, this is craziness, I don't understand this, her Facebook memorial page had to be taken down because of how many crude comments were posted about her. How does that happen? Where where does that come from? I mean, we're all familiar with it. Even if I asked you now, what was the most hurtful thing someone said to you in junior high school? My guess is that it wouldn't take you too long to instantly recall those words. I remember in fifth grade, I had crazy allergies, especially like in the spring. So I would come to school in the morning, kind of mucus, you know, running down my face, not all over my face. And I remember... The day that Joey Diaco discovered that my last name, Lucas, rhymes with the word mucus. <laughs> mucus Lucas. Uh, you don't you love fifth grade? You just got to love it. The sad thing is I was so desperate to get the attention off me, I quickly noticed an unpopular kid named Jacob in our class. He cheated on a test. Long story short, I started to chant, Jake the snake, and everyone got on that. So mucus Lucas went away, and Jake's school year was ruined. It starts so early, doesn't it? 
But at that stage in our social development, it's like we're so insecure, we don't really know who we are, that we develop like the six the sick kind of sense of significance in trying to make sure that somebody else is just a little bit lower than me. And in our insecurity, we use our words to keep somebody else down so that maybe we feel like we're a little bit above them. It's like a bunch of people drowning together. And as we're like trying to tread water, we, we push down on the people around us for leverage in an attempt to breathe. The sad thing is it doesn't end on the playground. Many of us never outgrow trash talk. After fifth grade high school, we graduate to real life where we kind of earn our degree and become these expert verbal assassins. And we use a variety of tools to practice our dark art. Maybe you live or you work with a verbal ninja like the critic. Uh, some of you know, uh, uh, some, you know maybe it's, a, it's someone in your family who's skilled in the art of constant criticism. No matter what the situation is, they constantly find fault with somebody. Wow, new haircut. How much? That's the best they could do for 70 bucks. Or how about the complainer? Anyone live with a constant complainer? They just drain the joy out of life when you're around them. Maybe they have the numbly, mumbly grumblies or they nag you for what you're, what you're not doing. Hey, thanks for taking out the garbage. Too bad the truck came yesterday. No matter what you do, it's never good enough. By the way, Proverbs, you're going you're gonna to see this. because This is really, we're in Proverbs for most of the series. It's a hilarious book. <laughs> if you spend time reading the words of wisdom, some of them just like hit the nail on the head. Listen to this proverb about living with a spouse who nags or finds fault. Check this out. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Husbands, don't write that down. This is not your moment, guys, this is not your moment where you're like, I just found my life first. That's amazing, you know, don't it? There are plenty of Proverbs for men, especially those of us who are kind of skilled in playing the role of, uh, of the joker. Um, we like to be fun as guys and be sarcastic, don't we? That's kind of the, you know, irony is like the currency of our culture. It's kind of how we communicate with each other. It's why we watch The Daily Show for news. We watch The Office for laughs. Read The Onion. And we love, of course, joking. Don't be gay, man. You're such a fag. Or the double entendre. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. Check this out. The ancient root of the word sarcasm literally means flesh eater. In other words, to get under people's skin and say stuff in a way that kind of eats away at them. Again, listen to what Proverbs 26 says. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. In other words, he's like, he's like when we tear or, or rip others down, but then kind of distance ourselves from that, he's like, dude, I was always joking. Why so, you know, come on. He's like, you're being like a maniac who's like shooting flaming arrows in your neighbor's house, and when it burns down, you're like, why so serious? I'm just busting chops. Come on. The tongue has the power of life and death. Do you get what he's saying? He's like, every day in every interaction you have, You are literally speaking life into your relationships, words that build up in courage or affirm, or speaking death to your spouses, your kids, or your friends. And typically, those words that wound uh, or eat away at a relationship, they don't start in some spectacular blow-up or just the normal stuff of everyday life. I want to show you a clip from a movie called The Breakup with Vince Vaughn, who uh, I think kind of is a perfect emblem of our trash talk culture. You guys know he kind of has a machine gun mouth quick wit, and he is utterly hilarious at times, and yet totally toxic with those he loves the most. Gary? Yeah. Oh, come on. Really? You got, you got three lemons. What my baby wants, my baby gets. You know that. No, but I, I wanted 12. Baby wanted 12. Why would you want 12 lemons? 
Because I'm making a 12 lemon centerpiece. So no one's actually even eating them? They're just they're show lemons? Yeah, they're just show lemons. Shown in the center of the table. Glad you find that amusing. But I cannot fill a vase with only three lemons. Well, can't you just use, like, maybe a, a drinking glass? I could use a well, drinking... you can have a smaller uh, version of a centerpiece. I'm not going to use a drinking glass for our centerpiece. You know what? I got an idea. Why don't we go ahead and scratch the, the uh, centerpiece idea all together? Because the chicken that burnt my mouth could maybe use a little bit of lemon on top of it. Guess what? Now we made a better meal versus something visually nice to look at. What are you doing? What's happening here? What are you doing? What are oh, you doing? I, I, I had a, such a long day on the bus. I am. Ex I need a little bit of downtown. My feet are killing me. Come on, my feet are I'm killing exhausted. me too. I worked all day. Went to the market. I cleaned this entire condo, and then I've been cooking for the last three hours. Come on, help set the table. Sweetheart, what? you've done such a great job already. Why don't, don't you want to finish it yourself and have that personal power, that accomplishment? Set the table. Listen to me. Do you think that when Michelangelo? right, was painting the 16th chapel, that he said, hey, guys, you know, I did pretty good on the first 15 chapels, but why don't you help me design this one? And maybe you could help me, uh, give me a brush, and you guys can grab brushes, and we can all make a great chapel. Uh-uh. No, he didn't. And you want to know what the results were? A masterpiece. Okay. Um, it's, it's the Sistine Chapel, not the 16th. And I bet when Michelangelo asked for 12 brushes... They didn't bring him three. Yeah, okay. All the talking is really starting to drain me, and now I'm gonna have to watch the highlights later to see what I missed here. Honey, look, Gary, just, Gary please just take a Down shower, okay? Because this is what I don't want to have happen. I don't want the doorbell to ring, I'm then forced to answer the door, entertain people, and I'm still cooking dinner. Yeah. Okay? You're absolutely right. Let's do that. The second that this inning's over, Gary. there's one out already. They're gonna be here in 20 minutes. Baby, have you ever seen a shower of mine take more than four minutes? Yes, I have. Come on. Oh, wait. Just... That, they're here. Okay. okay. The table's not set. Dinner's not ready. Would you please just let my parents... I gotta jump the shower. What? I gotta do it. Gary! Gary! Yeah, how's that gonna work out for him? I remember when I first saw Vince Vaughn, I thought he was hilarious. I kind of identified with him. Guys, like, you know, he's like a real quick talker. He has like this verbal repartee. Even if he doesn't quite command the facts, I thought that was hilarious. And then I got married and noticed that sarcasm and spin has its limits, doesn't it? Um, I mean, it's kind of fun sometimes to date the Joker, but once you marry him, why does he seem more like the manipulator? Uh, confession time. Early in our marriage, uh, I'm a very ashamed to say, I used to verbally dominate uh, my wife, Colleen. I didn't verbally abuse her as much as I dominated her. Whatever the topic or the disagreement, I was kind of this master debater. That would be an, another category of trash talker, the debater. You know that, that guy? Doesn't matter what the argument is about. I would perform gerbil, you know, verbal jujitsu and wear you down. And even if I have to kind of spin the facts or manipulate reality, early on in my marriage, I was most concerned with being right. And uh, in my early years, my mouth, it was like a loaded gun. And it hurt Colleen and sabotaged our relationship. Uh, obviously, I know how to, you know, talk and string together ideas, present different ways of looking at stuff. And, and that's a gift that God gave me that now I know why he gave me that. It was so I could communicate actually his truth and his love to people. But in my 20s, I primarily use it to build myself up and tear others down. And so when Colleen and I would disagree on something, you know, where to go to eat, what to buy, whatever, I would use my verbal dexterity and ability to reason, convince, you know, and, and, and martial facts and arguments to dismantle her and defeat her in any debate. And it was like my mouth was like a loaded gun. And um, because my wife actually leads with her heart, not her tongue, she was an easy mark. 
And I would win every argument, even when I was dead wrong. And what's worse, I could instantly recall Bible verses to back up my point of view. Uh, you talk about it. It was like a trump card. You know, this is kind of how you do this in the Christian world. Uh, one time we disagreed about having one of her coworkers over for Thanksgiving. This is kind of funny. She wanted to have this girl over from her work whose life, in my opinion, was kind of a mess. She had a couple of kids out of wedlock. She was dating some loser, in my opinion. She had financial problems. And all I had was like judgment. I was like, why do you want to have her over? What kind of message would that send? You know, I just want to have a quiet little Thanksgiving dinner with our family. And Colleen was like, because she has nobody. She's like, maybe if someone actually showed her some love and, and, and kindness, it, it helped. And I was like, you know, I just, I don't, you know, I don't want her in the house. You know, the, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, if you won't listen to truth, you got to take off your sandals and shake the dust off of them, sweetheart. Time to wake up and shake the dust off your sandals. She's not coming to our house. What would Jesus do? And uh, now, to be fair, I had just earned my seminary certificate in pharisaical studies. Just want to be honest. And I remember this because I could see, thank you for that. I could see the tears welling up in my wife's eyes. And you know what she did? She looked at me and she said, you know what? You win. She said, in fact, you always win, don't you? (laughs) Does that feel good to you? That you can out-talk me? That you can out-think me? Well, you know what, Tim? You win. You win. And she walked out of the room in tears. Little secret to young couples everywhere. Whenever you win an argument, you lose big time. It took me six years to learn that. Whether you're married or single, you've got to listen up. When you manipulate and verbally bully somebody and he or she surrenders because you are a more skilled debater, you have not won. You have lost big time. And in those early days, my approach was costing me more than I can possibly imagine in our relationship. Uh, Thankfully, I was in for a little smackdown of my own. Not from, uh, well, from actually from Colleen's father. Not her earthly dad, but her heavenly one. Uh, after she left the room crying, I was kind of surprised by her reaction. And of course, I started to be the joker. No, okay, sweet, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. And then God spoke some words to me. And in my heart, I remember that day hearing him say very clearly, as clear as a bell, is that how you treat my daughter? And I honestly, I felt that in my heart. I was like, no, but I shut up. Is that how you treat my daughter? In those words, my daughter cut to my heart because I realized all along I was I just assumed I was simply arguing with my wife and God out of his love and correction he spoke words of truth to me that Colleen is not first and foremost your wife but is God's beloved child and Tim when you use words like a black belt to disarm defend dismantle or dominate them getting them to surrender in a spiritual sense you are doing damage to her soul and her heart I was speaking death into our relationship, not life. And it was great because God said, you know, Tim, when you, when you verbally overpower Colleen, it's not a win. It's not a, it's not a joke. You are chipping away at the image of God in her. I made her in my image and you have the same capacity to affirm praise and call out the good in that, the power of life where you can criticize and tear down and exploit her flaws And I'm not going to ask you what you should do. I'm telling you, don't treat my daughter that way. And um, those words of correction to me, I still remember to this day. It was my wake-up call in our marriage. That my mouth had the literal power of life and death in our relationship. And I was cut to the heart. And I had to say something that didn't come 
quite naturally to me. I had to speak two words to my wife that I found very difficult to get out of my mouth. Oh, I'm sorry. First, I had to actually tell God how sorry I was for dominating his daughter that way. And then went on to tell my wife that, you know what, this isn't, you're not wrong. It's, it's my bad, my bad. And that was actually, I can point to in our marriage, that was one of the days, one of the touch point, flashpoint days that healing in our relationship began. This Proverbs makes clear, the tongue has the power of life and death. In fact, let's turn to Proverbs 18. Grab your Bible. You can turn there. Proverbs is about in the middle of the Bible. And you're going to discover something very interesting with this verse, the full context. Verse 21, 20 and 21 read this. It says, from the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, he's saying the quality of the life that you are currently living is literally dependent on the words you've been speaking. I mean, you guys know this. We all know people whose lives are full of bitterness and resentment and broken relationships. And in a very real way, the writer of Proverbs is basically saying, he's like, they're basically, those people are eating the fruit of their mouths, and it's rotten. Conversely, we all know people who, you know them, they're marked by actually an obvious sense of like peace and like laughter. And we look at them and we're like, how do they do it? You know, they must have picked good friends or they picked a good, you know, mate or something. That's the surface level. He's saying in a spiritual sense, your mouth has the power to bless or to curse. The words you speak directly produce the things that are currently filling your life. And this transcends marriage. It's applicable to any relationship in life. If you're a parent and you want great kids, you make them with your mouth. Life and death are in the power of your tongue, what you say to them. In your dating, your ability to fixate on his or her flaws or celebrate their strengths will be the single most determining factor if your relationship goes the distance. If you want to transform your marriage, you start by transforming your mouth. Watch this connection. Look at verse 22 here. These, the words immediately following this proverb it says, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Is this interesting? The very next verse is a declaration about marriage. It's not an accident. Why are these verses connected? The, you get it? Because your relationships will never be better than that which proceeds out of your mouth. Your words that you speak literally have the power to bring life or breathe death and curse and curdle the people that you love. As Robert uh, Morris says, he says, far too many people spend time speaking death over their marriage. Numerous studies have borne out this biblical truth. This is fascinating. A psychological study at Catholic University looked at couples during their first 10 years of marriage, and they found a very subtle but important difference at the beginning of their relationships. Check this out. Among couples who stayed together, only five out of every hundred comments were insults or put-downs. But among couples who eventually split up, 10 out of 100 comments were insults. In other words, they spoke twice as many put-downs to their spouse. Now, that gap basically magnified over the following decade until couples who were headed towards divorce were flinging five times as many cruel and belittling comments as happy couples. Yeah, you said that? Oh, yeah, well, how do you think of this? And back and forth, back and forth. In their book that came out of the research, the authors wrote this. They said, hostile put-downs act as cancerous cells that if unchecked, erode the relationship over time. 
in the end, relentless negativity takes control, and the couple can't even get through a week without major blow-ups. Some of you know exactly what he's talking about. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? That the most reliable predictor of success or failure in a relationship isn't how much affection a couple displays or how many interests do we have in common or what kind of ethnic or economic background that they come from. It's the kind of words that they spoke to each other. Let's check in with our friends Vince and Jennifer and see how it plays out for them. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Love you, too. I'm going to go do the dishes. Cool. It'd be nice if you help me. No problem. Uh, get them a little bit later. I'm just going to hit the streets here for a little bit. Gary, come on. I don't want to do them later. Let's just do them now. Take 15 minutes. Oh, honey, I am so exhausted. I just honestly want to relax for a little bit. If I could just sit here, let my food digest, and just try to enjoy the quiet for a little bit. Get some. Get some. Get some. That's what happens. And we will... Oh, we can clean the dishes tomorrow. Here, you know, I don't like waking up to a dirty kitchen. Who cares? I care, all right? I care. I busted my ass all day cleaning this house and then cooking that meal, and I worked today. It would be nice if you said thank you and helped me with the dishes. Fine. I'll help you do the dishes. Oh, come on. You know what? No. That's, see, that's not what I want. You just said that you want me to help you do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. Why would I want to do dishes? Why? See, that's my whole point. Let me see if I'm following this, okay? Are you telling me that you're upset because I don't have a strong desire to clean dishes? No, I'm upset because you don't have a strong desire to offer to do the dishes. I just did. After I asked you. Brooke, you're acting crazy again. Don't you call me crazy. I am not crazy. I didn't call you crazy. I didn't call you crazy. No, I didn't. I said you're acting crazy. Don't call me crazy. I didn't say you're crazy. I said you're acting crazy. Now, that's a great distinction. That'll just get right to the heart of a woman every time. The truth is, whether you're married or not, most of us, most of us, let's be honest, most of us, we walk around with a bomb in our back pocket. We all have this killer instinct when we feel threatened in a verbal confrontation. Have you ever feel like you're getting like kind of backed or cornered into a fight, but you've got a nuclear option in your back pocket? You know something about the person you're fighting with. You know something about their anxieties or their insecurities or their, or, or their worries. You know something about their past. And you know if you just play this card, you can get them to shut up immediately. If I push this button with my spouse, I can end it, the conversation. This button with my friend, this button with my sibling, this button with my parents, and it's over. Every single one of us has a list in our head that says, in case of emergency with so-and-so, break glass here. It's true, and it's ironic, because most of the time, The people we love the most are those who were best equipped to brutalize with our words. And sometimes we never know how the impact will come out until it's too late. And one actually says, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. Listen, the challenge for some of us over the next couple of weeks is going to be to gauge how much death we're speaking into our relationship. Some of you are speaking death over your marriage over the person you're dating, over somebody who are harboring unforgiveness, and begin challenging, can we have our mouths begin lining up actually with the word of God? It's called the word of God. What does God's word say? How does God want us to speak to those we love the most? Ephesians 4.29 says this. 
do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. He's not talking about cursing. But only what is helpful for what? Let's say it together. Building others up. He's, from God's perspective, he's like the people in your life need constant building up. It's, it's, like, um, it's like this Jenga game. You guys play Jenga? You guys know Jenga? You, Jenga, let's go 80s, yeah. It's like this. If you have, like, let's say you, even, you have a great support network of family and friends who are giving you compliments and daily affirmation, and you say, oh, you know, you did, really did a great job on that. You know what? You really have some incredible talents. Boy, I just, it, you, you are really a faithful friend to me. You, are, you have people who are always building you up and speaking affirmation into your life. I actually had an interesting one on Wednesday. It was my birthday. A friend of mine, a guy, actually leaves a voicemail, and he says, hey, dude, I just want to let you know, apart from, like, anything with liquid, all that, Dude, I just love being your friend. Um, you are one of the persons who I know is the same on stage and off stage, and I just, I'm just so thankful to God I have you in my life. This is, I've saved that voicemail. Is that weird? I've saved it and played it a couple times just because it, like, it, it builds me up. And, and, and literally the Bible, Ephesians, is, is saying we, our words are building up, but all it takes is one careless word. If I can just get this one, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? You're nothing. One word. And it all comes tumbling down to the ground. God's like, that's what the world does by nature. But by my Holy Spirit, you're going to do something different. Notice the rest of Ephesians. He says, only say what's helpful for building others up according to what? According to your opinion. (laughs) No. According to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, it's not about you. For years, I have had such an overinflated sense of my own opinion on things. As if Colleen married me like, oh, I can't wait to marry Tim so he can tell me what's right and what's wrong and how I can do things just a little bit better in life. Oh, won't that be great? No. Let me give you a little filter that I have found helpful to run things through to determine what's worth saying to build up my wife, my kids, my family. It's a very simple filter. Before you speak, you simply ask three questions. Is what I'm about to say true? Secondly, is it kind? Have you ever noticed it's possible to say things that are true but not kind? Or you can say things that are kind but not necessarily true. Guys, this is the trick question, okay? You get when she looks in the mirror and she says, how do I look in these jeans? Do I say what is true? Or do I say what is kind? What am I going to say? This is a trick. You have to figure out a way to say both. Is it true? Is it kind? And the third one is this. Is it necessary? Will this build him or her up according to their needs? Not my need to say it, but do they need to hear this? We live in an age where we instantly can type what we're thinking and post it and hit send. The whole world hears it without running it through a filter. And God's like, could you actually hit pause long enough to think, Do others really need to hear this? Is it true? Is it kind? Is this absolutely necessary, what I'm about to say? Last fall, I was talking with a woman who was pretty frustrated with her husband. And uh, he was out of work. And uh, she did not see him taking the steps that she felt were kind of necessary to to, to get a new job. And uh, for a man, by the way, this is a very sensitive issue, okay? Very sensitive. Our identity is tied very closely to our work. And she was like, Pastor Tim, I've been biting my tongue I haven't been saying anything, but I couldn't keep quiet any longer, so I finally told him the truth. And I sipped my coffee. I said, what'd you say? And she said, I told him the truth. I said, you just lay around on that couch like a bump on the log, and I am tired of you saying you're the breadwinner, but you're not. You just sit here and you feel bad for yourself. 
Well, I bust my butt to hold it all together, and if you don't do something about it, I'm leaving you for a man who can take care of my needs. And I sip my coffee, and I was really surprised. I said, I said, you're considering leaving him? She goes, no, no, not at all. I wasn't serious. I just wanted to motivate him. I thought that might, I figured this will light a fire under him a little bit. And I sip my coffee. I was like, oh, he lit a fire all right. James says, the tongue is a fire. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. In other words, our words can either build bridges or burn them to the ground. And her words to her husband, they lit a fire all right. Did what she say, was it true? Yeah, you know what, I don't know. Maybe there, maybe there was some sloth and some self-pity that had this guy stuck. Was it kind? Whew. Her words had all the subtlety of a sledgehammer, man. And whatever short-term motivation it created will be offset by the long-term emotional damage she did to their relationship. Trust was the casualty there. She hit a man right where it's weak. And she spoke death and insecurity into their relationship. So I said something that was necessary and true. I suggest, I said, you know, your words may in fact have the opposite effect on him. And you know what she said? Ironically, I, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Let him who has ears hear. Let's read God's truth together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, ultimately, guys, this isn't about, like, trying to clean up our language or, like, try not, you know, use, be kinder to people. Avoid swearing. That, that's, not, that's not it. Our words are simply the surface symptom of a much deeper issue. According to Jesus, the words that we use, that what we say simply reveals the state of our heart. In Matthew 12, Jesus says this. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Now watch what he says. For out of the overflow of the what? Of the heart, the mouth speaks. Notice how the Bible always compares what comes out of our mouth to fruit. It's like the fruit of our lips. And you may say, well, who would I be to judge what comes out of someone's mouth? I'm not here to be a judge. I'm here to be a fruit inspector. That's what, that's what Jesus says. The fruit of what you say will reveal what's going on in here. For the, out of the overflow of the mouth, of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says this. He says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you, men will have to give account on the day of judgment for what? Every careless word they have spoken. That's a scary verse to me. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees here about speaking against the Holy Spirit. And his big point was that the words we speak simply reflect what's going on at the deeper level of our lives. And in fact, he said to his audience, he said, I'm, I'm not here to judge. That comes later. But right now in this life, I'm here as a fruit inspector. And if you've got a bad tree, you've got bad fruit. Just like bad mouth is evidence of a bad heart. What comes out of here always reveals what's happening here, your heart. So yeah, this is about more than behavior modification. This is about soul transformation. Heart surgery is going to be needed for some of us. Maybe you've heard it said, um, hurt people hurt people. Have you ever heard that? Hurt people hurt people. In other words, 
whenever you encounter someone who quickly goes nuclear or is constantly critical or they feel they need to tear others down so they actually feel somewhat good about themselves, most likely it's because they've been hurt or judged or criticized in a way that wounded them deeply and went unhealed. And God says, that's what I want to do. I don't want to just change your speech. I want to change your soul. If the overflow of your mouth is trash talk, then something more than your words needs changing. Your heart does. And that's why Jesus came. His arrival was announced in the gospel with these words, and the word became flesh. In other words, God's word always brings life. That's what he uses his words for. You're going to see this next week. Bringing healing to broken parts of life, transforming where we're inadequate. There's a reason why the Bible is called what? It's the word of God, the word of life. It offers light on the shadowy parts of our life that God says, I'm going to change that. Jesus is called the word. He came to bring his life into ours, where all of a sudden our words are now whole and healthy because they're a reflection of a heart that's being healed and whole and healthy. Our heart becomes God's house. It actually gets filled with Jesus' spirit, and the fruit of the spirit comes out of our mouth, not just self-centered trash talk. You get this? And that's the challenge I just want to leave you with, with this kind of kickoff to our series. For the next few weeks, would you be willing to open more and more of your heart to Christ? For, not only for correction, but for healing, for new patterns and ways of thinking that are whole and healthy. Because that's what God wants for you in your relationship with him and with others. Think of, he really does. <laughs> Think of Christ's relationship with you. How was that started? His words from the cross. I forgive you. I love you. I will never leave you and never, never, never forsake you. I won't hit you back. It's very, he's inviting us into that life. One that is generous, that actually brings life to dead people around us who are cynical by our peace and by our joy. So married folks, here's a challenge for you. You got to start, stop this week speaking death to your spouse. (laughs) That's the first thing. And start allowing your mouth to line up with the word of, of Christ. Husbands, that could practically mean to begin praying for your wife as if she is already the woman of God you want her to be. Stop tearing her down. Stop nitpicking. Stop making her the butt of jokes with your friends. Ephesians 5.25 is so practical. It reads this. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, cleansing her by the washing with water through what? Through the word. Catch that? How does Jesus wash his wife, the church? And she's a dirty girl. According to this verse, through what? Through his words. Men, are you washing the woman in your life with your words? Are you cleansing her? Are you restoring her? Are you healing her? Or is the opposite true as you discourage, dominate, and dismantle her? It is a very serious question to ask yourself. Same thing applies to women. You've got to stop speaking death to the men in your life. Stop telling him all the things he does wrong. Find anything, something that he does right and praise him to the moon for it. If all he does is get out of bed in the morning, you say, he is the best getter-upper I have ever seen in this universe. You've got to encourage him. That, that word encourage is so misunderstood. It doesn't just mean like, oh, I'll be chipper. Da, da, da. Look at it. What word do you see in it? What word do you see? Courage. Encourage. Literally, encourage means you are putting courage into someone's soul. To discourage someone is like, you're sucking the courage out of it. Encourage him. I've been using marriage today just as, a, as an example to show you the spiritual power of words, but it holds true for every relationship in this room. Your words can bring life or death to your family, your parents, your siblings, your students, your coworkers. 
And everyone that comes out reveals your heart. A heart that's either anchored in the reality of Christ's love and his Holy Spirit or trash talk. Which one? The good news is if you have a, a, a broken relationship or uh, maybe you've burned some bridges with your words, the good, the good news is that words have the power to restore life. In fact, two of them <laughs> have tremendous healing impact. It's the ones that are hardest for me to say. But literally, maybe some of you need to speak these words this week or on the ride home or over lunch or, 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 or to someone that you've hurt. I was sorry. My bad. I was wrong. By the way, these two words are the most powerful words that a child can ever hear a parent say. Sometimes men, I don't know where we get this idea, we sometimes culturally we think it's weak or a bad example to say I'm sorry to our kids or something. It's just the opposite. They will respect you, not fear you, and they will see what true love and forgiveness of their heavenly father is like. Those words of confession are the way to fix a broken relationship. Even a broken relationship with God. If you have felt distant or you felt separated from God, these are the words that bring restoration. The Bible actually says if we confess our sins, that is, if we speak the truth to God, if we come clean about our shortcomings, he is faithful and just and will do what? He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise from the word of God itself. So I want to give you a chance to begin this series together by talking to God with your words. So let's take a moment to bow our heads. I'm going to give you some space to pray and talk to God. Let me pray for us, and then you can talk with him. Father, I just confess to you right now uh, that I justify and trivialize all sorts of things I say when really they're the reflection of a heart issue. So we just begin with words of gratitude. I thank you for your kindness and your grace today in revealing how our words are capable of life and death. Thank you that you speak words of life to us. Words of forgiveness, I forgive you. Words of empowerment, I put my spirit in you. Words of renewal, I give you a new heart. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for things that we have said that are hurtful and damaging. We just take a moment to do that together. Private confession to you, Father. Lord, more than our words, you are weighing our hearts. And we thank you for that mercy. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit into this place for every man and woman, those of us who are wounded and those of us who have done the wounding. We ask forgiveness and we ask for healing. We ask that we'll see relationships restored and strengthened over the next few weeks in our midst. And thank you most of all for the word of truth. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We put our hope in you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Audio. If this message has touched you, we'd love to know how. Just email Pastor Dave Adamson at churchonline at liquidchurch.com. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com.